Hey guys, welcome back to Rolling for Change. This time around, I've got a great interview for you with my good friend Dave Satterfield, who has played 2,660 games of Hanabi. Uh, this is uh, this is kind of almost like a life discipline for him, and and I hope that you will see by listening to the episode that it can be a life discipline for all of us because you can learn so much from playing this simple little abstract card game, and I think that shows up in our interview quite a lot. Also, if you want to, uh, if you want to make a drinking game out of this episode, look for me to say the word extrapolate far too many times. Uh, you can take a shot for each extrapolation. <laughs> you can extrapolate your shot to the show. Anyway, uh, it's a great conversation, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. We'd love to hear what you think about it after you listen to the episode. So here it is, Dave Satterfield and myself at Game Fest 2018. Uh, yeah, we're definitely on now. Welcome to Rolling for Change, a podcast about the psychology of gaming. My name is Woody Harris. I'll be your host. And today we are talking with my good friend, Dave Satterfield, who has, for some reason, played 2,660 games of Hanabi. Dave, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing this morning, Woody? I, I'm doing great. I played a really uncomfortable eight-hour-long game last night, and I'm feeling really refreshed now. <laughs> I'm feeling very pleased with... Uh, my lot in life after watching the lot in other people's lives go badly over and over again. Uh, sounds like uh, eight hours of pain there, Woody. It, it was eight hours of pain and dark, dark humor and misery. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not going to really talk about that game because we're going to talk about it in a future or previous podcast episode. I don't know which that is, but um, the game, just for anybody who wants to know about it before you run off and... Uh, listen to the other podcast is this war of mine. So I, that was an eight hour long game and I'll, I'll explain it more in another podcast. Uh, but we are here at game fest, which is a semi, what is it? Three times a year, two times a year. Uh, call it three. I mean, it has a yeah, different it's, name it's, one of the times, but it's, it's the same thing. It's three <laughs> times a year that this gaming family gets together and uh, enjoys gaming with one another. And we do it for three to four days. And so Dave and I are both here at the convention. And uh, how's your experience been here at the convention, Dave? It's been pretty good. Uh, I've had uh, I didn't have quite as much time at the convention this year. I had to work a couple of the first days of the con, which is a little bit different for how I normally handle it. But other than that, I've tried to pack in the games as tight as I could while I've been here, as usual. Uh, get some of the big, you know, pretty games on the table. <laughs> Play some of the new stuff, and uh, otherwise just kind of enjoy hanging out with some of the people I don't get to see quite as often as I normally would so exactly this is this is kind of a family for me like every time i come here it's kind of a homecoming even though the the crowd changes every time but there's still some stalwart like the genetic code of what game fest is is still here and then there's all these ancillary people that are new to me um i don't know how that works for you but that's that's what happens for me uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there's the people that you, know, you want to game with more often, but their gaming group is on the other side of town, or their gaming yeah. group is slightly different city, and they're like, "Oh, good, they made it." And then you, you know, suspend your weekend scheduling games uh, around uh, being around other people, so you yeah. can be so you can be with the people you want to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what what have you played that's been really interesting or or fascinating to you? What's what's exciting? Uh, well, uh, hopefully I don't butcher the pronunciation of this one. Excellent. Uh, the, uh, there's a game called Teotihuacan. Uh, I believe that's at least close to the name. Uh, it's a temple. It's a, you know, I, I think it's the Mayans, uh, but it, it's, it was their city of the gods, basically. And you're mm -hmm. spending this game uh, building up their temple uh, for points, of course, as you do with a lot of games. Yes. Uh, and... Uh, it just came out. It's actually uh, not even out in general release just yet. I was lucky enough to tack it on to a Kickstarter earlier this year. It's just a fantastic game. It's got just the right level of, of crunch, as I like to say, for uh, games yeah. that get thinky. Uh, and I, I think I had to 
set myself the the pacing of oh, once a day, Dave, once a day, so I don't <laughs> make myself sick of the game in one weekend. Uh, but I'm really enjoying it. Everybody I've taught it to has really loved the game, uh, and I don't think I've seen it off the table very often uh, somewhere. Uh, at the convention, the whole the whole weekend, and I think there's only two or three copies floating around. So. Yeah, and I've seen them. I've seen them on the table. Yeah, just every time I go into the big room, I've seen them on the table. Um, and that one is by the same people who make Zulkin uh, and correct. Marco Polo, which are two of my favorite other games. So that that's fantastic. That's one that I'm looking to get to, get to the table in the next two hours or so. Yeah, same here. <laughs> and we're not even playing the same game, folks. <laughs> Um, anything else that's kind of piqued your interest? Have you played anything that you hadn't played before? Um, let me think. Uh, there's a, a couple of smaller games that I've played. I played a uh, kind of a party game called Yaks, uh, which is rolling dice that have letters on them, and then you're forced to make an acronym out of what comes up. Uh, I played a small, uh, I call it an envelope game, uh, okay. called Sprawlopolis. It comes in kind of a, a small card wallet and you're mm-hmm. working with uh, other people to, uh, build a city that meets, uh, some randomly determined scoring conditions. Uh, so that was a lot of, that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes you find those little kickstarters that you get because, okay, you know, that's 10 bucks or whatever. And, yeah. and then it's like, oh, this is really good. So, um, so uh, those two, uh, I've played some other older stuff that's bubbled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I finally played the card version of Carcassonne, which I had never played. Oh yeah, okay. Um, and that was actually pretty good. Uh, I of course got in a game of Scythe yesterday, which is one that I usually like to try to play. And I also played a game of My Little Scythe yesterday. So, nice. <laughs> uh, taught that to a couple people that had kids uh, that were wanting to check it out and. Uh, you know, see what it was like if their kid would enjoy it. And I think everybody had fun because you have a group of adults sitting around a table with these very cute animals walking mm-hmm. across a map. Um, so Having they, pie fights and making friends. Yes, pie <laughs> fights and friendship. Based on the game Scythe, but it's all cutesy. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yep. Um, can't think of anything that I played that was new besides this war of mine. I, I, I played... Castles of Burgundy for maybe the third or fourth time in my life, and I played uh, Space Base, and I played one half game of Marco Polo, which was sad, but uh, the flea market grew up around us while we were playing. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't kind of fair, because the, the flea market's not supposed to start until a certain point, and people started early, and we got distracted, and we're looking around at games, but we're trying to play our game, and it just all got screwy. So I, I hope to get Marco Polo back to the table sometime. This is my first time playing the expansion, though, and I really loved the expansion. Oh, that's good to know. I, yeah. I, I haven't had a chance to try the expansion yet. I do like the base game. so It makes for a lot more possibility. You want to make Marco Polo more thinky? It makes it more thinky. It is definitely more crunchy um, and has uh, many other ways to, to meet the, the victory conditions. Well, you know, build points. It's point salad. It's more point salad than it was before. So... But we're here to talk about Hanabi. Yes. yes. Which, like I said, you've played 2,660 times. And Dave, that, and That's just why? the in-person games, by the way. I, uh, I occasionally will play online. A lot of people will play online and tr- count those towards their play count. This is my in-person plays, the 2,660. So, What's the online platform is it board game arena there's a couple of different ones out there i usually use board game arena okay. uh, to play uh but uh there's two or three others some people have built custom engines to play it um but i i those systems tend to track your plays for you so you can see how many times you play yeah that makes sense uh i like tracking the online plays through bgg so those are the only ones i actually bother to kind of count and keep track of mm-hmm. um also, I think online is kind of cheating. <laughs> I, yeah, there's there's not there's a lot of body language that goes on in there. Not even body language because I don't want to I don't want, I don't want to get into that discussion yet. But there's a lot of um, there's a social aspect to it that isn't there when you're playing online. Agreed, agreed. Now I, I will say this before anybody who listens to this gets upset. I, I don't mean that it's easier or harder. I just say in, I'm just saying in terms of playing board games. Online is very easy to make happen. Yeah. I prefer to track my in-person plays as opposed to my online plays. Uh, do whatever makes you comfortable in terms of tracking your own games. <laughs> Good job in having a trap door for yourself there. 
So Hanabi is a cooperative card game in which the cards, they face out. So you never see your own cards. And you're working together. Hanabi means something like flower, fire, or something uh, like that? Uh, yes, it's basically uh, fireworks. Yeah, it's a fireworks display that you're trying to create. That's the, the theme that's tacked on top of this very abstract card game. Um, but you're trying to put the fireworks in order so that they fire off in order so that you get the right fireworks at the right time so that, I guess, so that people are happy. Um, right. This is uh, created by Antoine Bauza. Um, it won the Spiel des Jahres in some year. <laughs> I believe it was... 2013, was it? I thought 11, 12, somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a little while ago, but that, that's given you time to play 2,660 times. Why? Why would you play this game almost 3,000 times? I'm really rounding up here, but... Uh, well, yeah, I'll get there eventually. Uh, so the thing that I really like about it, uh, it presents a very interesting puzzle. Uh, so as he noted before, you don't get to see your own cards, uh, but you're very limited in the type of communication you can use to uh, tell other players to play their cards. Um, you're also limited on the number of mistakes you can make. Uh, you're limited on the amount of times you can give away that information. And then at the same time, um, there's very limited ways to get that that source of information back in play. Um, so, and then all contained within uh, a legal number of plays to finish the game. Uh, so the puzzle is, how do I maximize uh, my ability to get these cards onto the table um, using the limited time and resources that we have? Uh, and depending on you know which variants you play or how many people you have it's going to make that easier or harder and it's always interesting to see what is the the best way to get from a to b uh, and what is the path that i have to weave through the hands of cards that people are dealt or draw as the game goes on um you know I, you can never say you know i, I I doubt anyone has a perfect record for Hanabi if they've played uh, very many times at all, but uh, I, it is you're always striving for that perfection and seeing how can you weave your way through and get things done. Um, and, and it's that puzzle, uh, the excitement of getting through and working with a group and getting it done uh, that is, I think, what keeps me coming back, as well as looking for new ways to... Uh, you know, make the communication even more efficient uh, in future games that also keeps it interesting. So, Yeah, so for the listener who hasn't played the game, the, the process of the game is basically I can give you one clue or I have three possible actions, right? Correct. One is to give a clue to somebody at the table. One is to discard a card, meaning that I'm going to get it out of my hand and it's not going to play in our tableau of fireworks. And then the third is to play in the tableau of fireworks. Assuming I know what I'm doing, I'm going to play something that's in logical sequence so that it will be the next number in the sequence and nothing bad happens to us. But if I do happen to play something bad, something that doesn't match, let's say I'm trying to play a three and it turns out to be a four, then that four goes out of the game and at the same time we get a ding. And we can only have a certain number of dings before we're kind of uh, crossed out of the game. Correct. Uh, yeah. In the, in the game, I believe they... Depending on which version of the game you're playing, the original version, uh, it is lightning strikes. So if you see three strikes of lightning, which are your strikes in the game, uh, the weather's too bad, so the show is canceled, and everybody has. Oh, to that's go the home. way it works. Okay, right. Uh, in the some have a fuse, though. Right in the American printing, it's a fuse, and uh, you've made enough mistakes that you accidentally just set your truck full of fireworks uh, on fire, and they blew up. So <laughs> and so it's it's a it's a done deal. Like it it's a done fireworks show nobody cares about it because it's all gone off at one time right right you've you've dissatisfied the people as a matter of fact if you read the rules uh book uh they give you kind of a a gauge of how you did based on how many points you got out on the board and i, I think you know one of the low levels is boo everyone is disappointed or something oh, like that oh wow it, okay it, it, it's yeah, it's very sad if you ever get that and you read it and go oh wow i feel awful now so yeah so the the results are not devastating but you still are trying to put on a good fireworks exactly, display exactly exactly so th this this process, um, I know that a lot of people who play this game, and I, I'm not speaking for everybody because obviously we have many different, almost like regional dialects of what to do with Hanabi. 
but I know that for a lot of people who are looking in, looking out from the in, in from the outside, how, looking at the game from an outside perspective, might say, "Well, it's all about having a special code between each other. In order to get those cards on the table, you just have to know." Like, I would have to know your code, and you would have to know my code, and if we knew both codes, we could speak to each other in some kind of hidden language and get the cards down on the table the way we need to. Is it? Is that it? You know, there are uh, systems out there that some people use. Uh, there was a, a point, I believe it's, I think it's the Mod 9 method or something like that, that somebody figured out that everybody looks at the cards when they start playing they do a calculation in their head and then everyone gives clues that very specifically if i clue this particular card based on this that means that everybody else should do this particular thing and it's such a system that they've programmed it into a computer and the computer using just that logic can win 80% of the games or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so it's basically an alg- algorithm based on the setup of the cards then. Correct, correct. Um, we take an approach of we want everything we do to be based on uh, logic. So a mm-hmm. lot of it ends up being uh, things that look like convention and they become convention because of convenience. Uh, but... Most of it uh, is the kind of thing that if you sit down with someone new and they extrapolate it long enough, they will get to most of the same conclusions. And we found that we test this over and over again with, uh, you know, we, we play with a lot of bright people and we will just throw some of the things at them and see how they react. And they think about it and they a lot of the time the logic works out. It's just a matter of letting people get to it. Now, after years of playing it, uh, I get to the point where there's a lot of things that um, have built up and you know, the I, logic becomes shorthand, almost it, like it, two plus two is four. Now you, every time you see it, you're like, Oh, that's four. It does. Uh, the, we do say that you know, there's kind of one convention that we do kind of talk to people about ahead of time. And then mm-hmm. the most of it, we let flow from that. And that's just, Hey, put your new cards on one side of your hand when they come in and discard from the other side, just so that we kind of know that cards are yeah. flowing through your hand. And, and even that we've said to create a logical flow mm-hmm. or a, a normal flow of how your hand is going to move is really just something that you want to do so that everybody else kind of knows how you operate, you know, when all things, all other things are equal. So uh, even that we believe is kind of a logical way to play the game. And Right, like if you stood back from it or if you you played the game for thousands of years, everybody would come to the same conclusion because it's the most logical outcome that you could possibly have based on your experience with the game. Exactly, and most everything else stems from that. Uh, It's going to build out from the fact that there's a flow flow to the cards in your hand uh, and why would I do something based on where I see other people's cards or uh, timing or... uh, you know, when people step outside of that flow, what does that mean? So all of it's built up from that. And I can say having played with you on several occasions and the the people that, that I've played with, typically there's almost like a teaching position that a person who's played the game a lot takes in order to kind of like almost Socratically help the other person get to the logical statement that you've already made about the game. You know, I, I believe X about this game. It seems to hold true this many number of times. And if I give you a little piece of information about the game, then what happens is that um, next time I play or when I'm playing, I, I can kind of like, you can see the light bulb go off and I will have the same sort of um, epiphany that anybody else playing the game would have based on a certain set of information. And it's not that you've tricked me into your language. It's that you've walked me through the most efficient cognitive example of how to handle that situation. Right. And, and more, you know, more and more when we show it to people, we'll run into a lot of people that have played the game previously and said, Oh, this is just multiplayer solitaire. You know, you're Uh hoping the right cards come up and you get lucky and then maybe you win the game. Um, and then we will play with them and they will watch us do things. And we challenge them to not only think about the game mechanic itself, but think about why people are interacting with the game mechanic the way they are at the time. And as soon as people get themselves into that mode, they realize, oh, there's a lot more to this game. This is uh, a very deep game. 
that's why this works. That's why people love it. That's why this thing that looks like voodoo that people are doing <laughs> exactly. isn't necessarily voodoo. It, it works. So. No, there's some, some mental gymnastics that are going on that leads you to the same conclusions. And I can say that being in that space where it's like, I don't, I haven't made the mental jump yet. And I'm sitting there and there are people looking at me and they're like, and if this happened, then what? <laughs> you know, they're trying to guide me to the answer. And uh, it can be very... Um, I can imagine that some people would get very intimidated by it, but if you approach it in a way that says, okay, I recognize that I'm kind of being shepherded into this environment by some people that already understand the logic behind it, and as a result, I think I'm probably going to come away with a better sense of maybe logical, like, I'm going to be more objective maybe in my approach to, hopefully it's going to extrapolate to life itself, but at least it's going to extrapolate to the game so that I'll have this realization that applies to a lot of other circumstances. Agreed. Uh, and, and I, you know, I've talked about this a little bit in the past that uh, there's a lot of things that you're doing in Hanabi that kind of mirror real world uh, communication tactics that um, how you can talk to somebody about something uh, can apply to the real world and not just this game. Why would somebody tell me something the way that they're telling me something when telling me more directly or even telling me more in a more complex way you know, might have been a better idea. Uh, that there can always be a reason for the way somebody is communicating something in the way that they are. Uh, and Hanabi kind of uh, brings illuminates a lot of those different methods. Um, I could give some examples if you Sure, want, yeah, example. yeah. Uh, in Hanabi, you know, you start the game and you're going to want to get the ones on the table. So telling people about their ones makes it very easy to uh, you know th that makes it an obvious play just play yeah your ones, play your ones get those on the table um but what if instead i used a different method to tell you about it what if uh i tell you the color of your ones um what does that tell you what does that tell other people that see me communicating with you what if you had two different ones in your hand mm -hmm. and i tell you only about one of them by using the color uh, so I've, I purposely leave one out. Uh, well, if I'm somebody else sitting at the table, that might make me think, oh, that must mean somebody else has those ones in their hand. Maybe I have those ones in my hand. Mm -hmm. uh, so being observant of what everybody else is doing and, and then applying patience to wait and see what's going on. Or maybe because I told this person about their red one and not all of their ones, that's telling the next person, oh, I need to tell somebody else at the table who does have those other colors about theirs. So it's very much a communicate and be seen communicating thing as well as, you know, communicating yourself. So Yeah, so you're given a limited set of knowledge and then based on the knowledge that's available to you and the knowledge that you've just gotten, this clue, this amazing clue, you can hopefully extrapolate what you've got to do next. Correct, correct. Um, yeah, there's there end up being more complex examples as well. Um, sometimes you will give information that looks like a trick, uh, that or you will see somebody giving other people information that looks like you're leading them to the path of ruin, mm -hmm. uh, and it will cause other players to react in order to kind of help the situation. Uh, we have a maneuver called uh, the finesse, and yeah. that's a fairly common term out there, wherein, and I'll describe it, let's say we have no cards on the table once again. Uh, in Hanabi, you're allowed to give a color clue, and you identify all of the colors in a hand, or a number clue, and identify all of the numbers in the hand. Well, if I were to tell somebody about their one, uh, that's, gonna, that's easy. They're going to play it right away. But maybe I reach around the table from my position and I tell somebody about a green card in their hand. And maybe everyone else can see that I just told this person about a green two and not a one. Well, because it's about efficiency, um, everybody knows that person is just going to try to play that card. And that person is going to assume they should play that card, which is going to be a disaster because that's not the correct card to go next hmm. for that particular stack. So... Why would I tell that? So I see you giving somebody a clue about a two, but you say that that's green, and I the, the one's not down on the table. As a result, if I'm the third player in the game and I'm the next person in line, I can assume that most likely the card that's in my hand, some card in my hand, is the one, so that he will play the two. Correct, correct, and and, and that's and you know that whole flow of the 
uh, hand of cards ends up giving people the shortcut that it's probably their newest card mm-hmm. that's going to fix it. Um, and it tells that person in between, hey, I'll fix this issue by playing a card as opposed to giving a new clue. Um, to give an idea, the basic game of Hanabi uh, without the rainbow cards, which make it a little a little harder to play. Yeah, that's, that's an extra suit. Correct. Um, you've got 25 cards to play, and in a two-player game, uh, you have 25 clues, if everything's going right, to get those cards played, or 25 to 28, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm giving multiple clues for each card, that's not going to get things done. Uh, at the same time, as the player count goes up, you actually have fewer clues because there's more cards in hand and things like that over the game to finish it. So now you've got to start, you know, when you get to a five-player game, the max player count, you've now got 13 to 17 clues to get all of those cards played, and you still have to play 25 cards. Uh, so now you're looking for ways. If, if I were to reach around and tell that person about that green card that's obviously a disaster, um, why would I do that when somebody else is going to have to fix it? Well, probably because somebody can fix it without actually having to talk about it. So Yeah, so it, it comes down to... You can either give a simple piece of information. I mean, it's only one piece of information you're giving or a more complex piece of information that even though it's one sentence, it communicates more to everybody else at the table than the, than the, the, the simple sentence. Correct. So it, it's almost like an efficiency of communication that's going on between the players. The more efficient you can get, the better. And the finesse is one step more efficient than a simple direct play that card kind of clue. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then you get more things done at once just by giving this other piece of information. Um, there's other methods that we've learned uh, over the years as we've played. Uh, and so I play a lot myself, but there's a number of people that have probably played hundreds and hundreds of games with me. Yeah. Uh, and things that we've seen that work that, uh, and I'm just going to describe them kind of in more real world, real world terms as opposed to okay. uh, what it's like in Hanabi. Uh, what if I tell you something that is deliberately misleading? You know, why would I ever do that? Why, what if I, uh, what if you give me a piece of information and I willfully discard that information in front of you? What does that do? Um, and if you think about that in real world, real world terms, if, uh, Woody, if you came to me and told me something and then right in front of you, I disregarded that information at first, that sounds like. I'm doing something very, very... Like you're being dismissive or hurtful or just ignoring me? Exactly. Uh, Hanabi will actually challenge you in that case to turn that around and go, well, why did he just do that? What's the deeper meaning? Right. Did he do that because he's trying to be disrespectful or is there more to it than that? Um, We have a concept in our group we call uh, hate discarding (laughs) 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 where somebody will uh, tell me about a card uh, to play it. And then instead of playing it, I have, you know, somehow deduced that I know exactly what that card is Mm -hmm. and I will discard it in front of everybody. Well, why did you discard this card that we need? Well, the answer to that is that, um, somebody else had it and we've been trying to get them to play it. And this is our final clue to like, all right, stop stalling and playing that card (laughs) because that we don't want to have to fix things in multiple places at that point. The discard fixes it without fixing it, so to speak. Okay, so it's a good move, even though it's it's like, it, are you basically saying you get somebody gave you a clue and you're like, well, I know what that card is, and I'm going to get rid of it anyway. Yes. Okay, that's fascinating. Can so you you brought this out to real world experience, and I'm wondering, out of the abstract, can you tell me about any situation where someone did that to you in real life and it wasn't Hanabi based? that's the tricky thing that that's probably the one of the hardest things to extrapolate yeah Um, and and i think the only thing that is the the part of that that i extrapolate is not so much that step but the step beyond that which Mm -hmm. is um i ignored the information to the person whose information i ignored that looks disrespectful Mm -hmm. but then if they think about it and they realize 
oh, he did that because someone else was already taking care of that or yeah. because there was a better way and because there wasn't necessarily enough time to explain it then. But now it all makes sense once once away. And it's that kind of putting yourself in the other person's shoes and mm-hmm. mindset that gives you more of an understanding that maybe people aren't trying to be hurtful, even if sometimes it looks like they are. Yeah, that's a lot of reading between the lines. And I think it's probably something we don't do on like social structure can be kind of surface and we're talking about looking deeper than the surface. So, you know, just because you said something to me means that I'm going to look at instead of what's wrong with Dave, I'm going to go to what did he really mean? Dave doesn't dislike me. There's something deeper going on here. Just it almost seems like so convoluted that it's like a group of people like like almost like the Diogenes Club where it's like something you say can have so much deeper meaning and doesn't actually um, doesn't actually make sense to other people, but it makes sense to us. Right, right. Um, yeah, there's uh, another fun example. Uh, okay. Let's say all of the ones are on the table, and we keep picking on the ones, but that's that's a that's a simplicity thing that we're doing sure. here. Sure. Um, all of the ones are on the table. I tell you about a red card in your hand, mm-hmm. and then you play it, and look, it's the red one. Okay. Why would I ever directly tell you to play a card that's already been played and, and get us a strike? Well. It sounds like I'm just messing around with you at that point, or yeah. that I'm trying to lose the game. In reality, these are the type of situations that we're we're using because everything else in your hand is so messed it's up. It's the lesser of two evils. It's the lesser of two evils. I'm telling you to do something that's a little bit bad because I want to avoid you playing a bunch of other cards that are problems or avoid discarding the last of an important card that's in your hand. So we will landmine each other occasionally. Yeah, it doesn't hurt for me to extrapolate this a little bit to the game I played last night, which is going to bring it far too real world for us to really feel good about. But, you know, it's the difference of, oh man, I don't even like this example. Uh, I hate giving an example about war, but it, it, it seems to apply. Like, you, you can either steal the food from this family or our entire group can die. Right. That's... That's a situation where I'm going to have you do the hard, the easier thing, even though it's still going to be a bad thing, because we don't want to be devastated. It's the trolley problem, right? What's the trolley problem? The trolley problem is that uh, you are someone who is sitting at the switch uh, of a of a railroad switch. Okay. And there's a trolley coming down the tracks, and there's a uh, down one path is uh, six or eight people. Mm-hmm. that are laying on the tracks and you can't save them in time or there's one person on the tracks in the other direction and oh. and, that's, and that's the simplest form of it there's a lot of different variations on the trolley problem but um it is being forced to make that one decision to do one bad thing yeah to avoid a bunch of other bad this is the moral ambiguity that comes up when we try to talk about uh, self-driving cars because they're they're that's supposed to be the sticking point for ai when it comes to drive self-driving cars because do i do i kill the little girl or do i do i kill this busload of of uh, elderly you know all these possibilities and, and and that's usually how the trolley problem ends up getting uh expanded out as people will say well what if that one person was uh was a was a, a very skilled doctor who could save a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it gets harder and harder. But then what if those four people are, are babies? Yeah. So the four people on the other track are babies versus this doctor. So it, it and in Hanabi, it's not the stakes are not nearly as high. Well, because it's a very abstract game. But the, the point is that there is a logical conclusion here that can be applied to other real world situations. And it. Exactly. I, I'm never gonna feel like I'm when I'm playing hobby and I play a red one, and, and you know, and we don't have the possibility of red one that I'm actually, you know, just taking a uh, a less morally reprehensible action. Right. But you could you could extrapolate it to something bigger, which is really amazing to me. Yes. Yes. Um, there's other things that you can talk about. You know, sometimes I might talk to you by talking to somebody else in front of you. Uh, okay. When, so you're. 
Uh, is it passive aggressive? Is that what we're talking about here? Sometimes it's passive aggressivity. You, you could define it that way. Um, the finesse ends up being that, that I am talking to somebody else to make you do something in the middle. But really it's about me trying to convey the information to multiple people at the same time. Um, okay. So it's not trying to necessarily justify passive aggressivity, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's but it's more sometimes in, in Hanabi, I would do that because it's easier and it gets more things done. And in real life, a lot of people end up being passive aggressive because to them, that seems like the easier path. Uh, it's not necessarily because they mean harm, but it's just the only way they know how to communicate something at the time. Uh I'm thinking maybe you could shame one person that a lot of a large congregation of people identify with. And as a result, you haven't directly pointed the finger at them. But the idea is that by shaming him, you've gotten them all to think about their own um, connection to this, their own involvement in this same thing that this person did that was shameful. Correct. Correct. Yeah, oh, my God. And, yeah. Which which that that that's the dark version of it, of course. <laughs> I'm always going to go to the dark side, it seems like. Um in a, in a way, yes, you end up seeing some of that. Uh, of course, in Hanabi, in theory, you also end up working on the principle that everybody has the game, the, the best intentions of the game right, in mind, right. uh, which is that other side of hoping that people are being good people uh, in the real world. Yeah, uh, there's no hidden traitors in Hanabi. Right. That would just kill the game immediately. And you yeah. know who it was almost immediately, too. Yeah, we've joked about you know, how do we play Hanabi with the traitor variant. And sometimes it's, well, by playing poorly is one way for sure. But <laughs> but you have to play poorly in such a subtle way that you look like I'm just an idiot who's trying to... Idiot is a terrible word. You, that I'm just someone who's who's not doing well in the game. I'm not making the logical leaps you are. I'm... I'm, I'm mentally deficient when at the same time i'm actually trying to do something to sabotage the game right right yeah we it, mostly it's a joke that you know i'm playing poorly i must be the hidden trader <laughs> <laughs> it's an off day oops hidden trader variant uh the uh yeah uh, <laughs> oh i've lost my train of thought now so we're we're talking to you talked about the finesse and i'm wondering if there's anything that is more complex than the finesse we talked about passive aggressiveness we talked about uh complex communication which communicates more than one thing to a group of people and the finesse is there a the finesse is almost like a secondary like that's secondary information that you can get can you go to a tertiary level level i'm wondering uh yes we have something that a lot of people refer to as the bluff which is okay. Uh, kind of the next level of, of a finesse. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, let's 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 pull it back. The in the finesse, uh, I tell a person two away from me about a green two, but I tell it in such a way that they don't know it's the two. They're going to think it's the one to try to play it. Mm -hmm. The person in between, because of the flow of cards, um, uh, and because I waited and I give that clue after this person has drawn a card into their hand that is now the green one on the mm -hmm. back end, they logically figure out that their newest card must be that green one and they play it uh, kind of as something to save the day. All right? Okay. Well, what if using that same principle, I tell the person two away from me about a green two, um, the person in between us says, I have to save this with my new card by playing that in the middle and then they play it and it's a red one instead of a green one. Okay. So here's So now this guy knows that he has a green two, but there's a red one down on the table. Right. And so the fun there ends up being that that person two away realizes, Oh, I can't play the green two yet, but I know right now that I exactly have the green two or maybe, you know, well, you can't do it necessarily with rainbow cards, necessarily, uh, which are a much more advanced variant of the game. And yeah. we haven't talked about the, uh, that yet on this podcast. But uh, but we've now given, we've gotten a card played and we've told somebody both the color and number of their card that they have two away, all using one clue. Um, and they'll save that green two for later at a time that we actually need it. Mm -hmm. And once that green one is down, then that person is holding onto this card and they eventually 
discard it, uh, assuming everything goes So a well. single piece of information can actually result in three plays as opposed to two plays. Yes. That's sort of that tertiary level. Exactly, exactly. And then, okay, I have to go to the next one. Is there a quaternary? Um, that is easy to explain. Probably not. <laughs> We're almost talking about <laughs> processing speed right now because I think about a computer and sometimes how long it takes for a computer to update something. It's because there's like this kind of, I don't want to use the word analysis paralysis because that's not what's going on. It, there's a cognitive crunching that's going on that's like, yes. okay, I got this data. What does this data mean? And I'm extrapolating from the data. Four um, cards down for one clue would be something fantastic. We, we've done that before, actually. Um, let's say it's a five-player game. Okay. And, and I reach around to the person who's to my right, so the person furthest away, and I tell, let's say I tell them, let's go with green again. I, and I say green, and it's the green four. All right? Okay. Uh, the person right before them looks out, and they see the green four, so they know that's not right. They see the person to, that would play before them has the green two in their new position, and the person before them has the green one in their new position. So now everybody can see that there's a chain that there's one missing link in. So the second person away from me sees the one in front of them and the three, four after them, and they know there's a hole. And the person with the green one sees the two, three, four lined up. <laughs> and they're the whole so everybody has to kind of look at it and go oh we all have to be part of this solution all of a sudden wow so you get one two three four played in as one, a result of, of one clue right now that requires some luck because the cards don't always fall into place like that but yes you can get four cards played sometimes in the in, you know with one clue you, you could start the game if everything lines up and you just Boom, there you go. At some point, all things being equal, there's kind of a divergent property that goes on here where it's like the the more people involved that understand what's going on, the the more quickly something happens and the more it's almost it becomes machine like. Yes. yes. We're, we're all abacuses uh, or something, you know, we're all uh, logic machines and we're trying to get the human out of the way to let the logic machine come forward. Correct. Which is crazy because there's no emotions in Hanabi except the emotion that comes with a self-talk that says, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, even after you know, my 2,600 plus plays, uh, I still make, make mistakes. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I talk with a level of knowledge. Uh, I, I would love to one day say I'm an expert and maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but I, I know I'm not perfect because i have games that go off the rails i have games that uh that i mess up myself i have games where i just do something uh, i make a mistake that i should never make just because i'm tired at the time uh yeah <laughs> uh, yeah because the the cognitive flow is not happening the way you want it to exactly and you're going to play games of all sorts. Uh, just like in life, you're going to deal with people of all sorts that yeah. are of varying varying uh, levels of uh, skill or ability or that deal with things in different ways. And the other thing that you have to think about in a game like Kanabi is that you have to account for that. Um, uh, the thing we like to tell people when we teach Hanabi is you're probably going to make a mistake in your first game. That is not yeah. your Oh, fault. that's that's definitely going to happen. That is not your fault. That is right. our fault because we're the ones giving you the information. So you hold responsible the people that actually know how to play the game for for the person who's coming in who is uh, innocent or ignorant of the ways of Hanabi. You hold yourself responsible for their mistakes. Yes, uh, for the most part. Uh, but it's not even just for new people. It is because it's a game of information being imparted mm -hmm. if i don't properly impart that information to you whose fault is it when you make a mistake that's tough because uh, okay so i'm thinking about uh you know when i'm playing a game with you guys and things are kind of falling apart in my mind and i'm walking away with the the impression that because of me I was the linchpin in the game that caused the game to fall apart. And are you telling me that you 
and potentially the other people that are in the game are also walking away just as upset about, or maybe upset's not the right word, but just as aware of your own failings as I am. And so I, I'm not solely responsible anymore. The, the collective is responsible as opposed to the individual. Exactly. Exactly. That's, it's a Borg experience. It is. It's, uh, you know, if, if I leave you and I don't tell you anything ever, and then you make mistakes and you do things that mess things up for everybody else. Is that your fault? Not, not really. You know, it's, and in life, if, if I don't communicate with people that I'm dealing with on a regular basis and they make mistakes that affect everybody on something we're working together. If I'm working with somebody at work on a project yeah, and I don't tell them what I need them to do and then they don't do it, or they do something else that's bad. Whose fault was that? But what if you tell them, I mean, so I'm going to just stretch this a little bit further. What if you tell them what to do and they purposely don't do it? Is it still your fault? Well, and that that's where you start getting into the second and third levels. Uh, okay. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, in, in that case. It's almost about intent at that point. It is in, about in, intent. Right? Intent to sabotage. It's your fault. No intent to sabotage. It's the group's fault. Right. It's the communication giver's fault. It's the process of the communication. Right. And so you have to approach it from the standpoint of nobody is purposely sabotaging anything. They might make mistakes, um, but maybe there's a reason they're not acting on that right away. Maybe their point of view, is, they're identifying that something else is important that they, that they need to deal with. Um just like in life, if I if I tell you about something that's really important, but something comes up that has to be handled mm-hmm. by you, uh, because there's things that I don't know, and that's the that's one of the things about Hanabi is there's always, uh, well, I'm not gonna say always. There could be a point at which you know what every card in your hand is, uh, but you're still not gonna know what cards are in the deck necessarily. Uh, right. Right. There's always gonna be, or almost always gonna be some piece of information. I don't know because I can't see my own hand. Um, so even though I'm giving people information based on what I think is perfect information, they might have to act on that one piece that I can't see, but also from the point of view of what they can't see. Uh, so it very much becomes the, uh, not why did that person not do the thing I told them to, but what is it that they're seeing that's making them do something different? Yeah, and how could I have communicated this to them differently so that they would understand it in a different way? Right. Or did I not catch their concern as closely as I wanted to so that I could match with their concern and still communicate my idea? Right. This is blowing me away because every time we talk about Hanabi, I get more information. And that's The amazing thing is that the system that exists here, it, it's not quite a perfect system. We're not in this perfect, like, philosophically pristine uh, environment because there's still things that are randomly popping up. There's still randomization of the deck. Right. But all things being considered, and, and you may not know this answer, all things being considered, what is the chances if everybody plays perfect that you win every time? Um, is it 9 out of 10? Is it... Because there's some, some level that, that there's some level of randomness that will actually not work no matter how logical you are. Is that true? Uh, yes. For example, if you've got... Um there's a limited number of each card of each color in the game. And let's say that all of the green threes, or all of the green ones are on the bottom of the deck, the bottom three cards. Mm-hmm. The chances of you having everything else lined up and in the right order and and ready to go when that green one finally comes up and plays and then getting it done before you the game is over is incredibly low like that's an almost impossible situation uh in a two-player game for example if both twos of a color are the bottom two cards on the of the deck there'd be no way to do it there's absolutely i I, I can't think of any possible way i mean uh, maybe a computer could but i can't think of any possible way. actually it's impossible at that point uh, okay uh, as soon as the deck is gone everybody gets one more play so oh yeah so So that's it if i draw the next to the last card from the deck uh, and it's the green two, for example. Let's say everything else is done, and all we have to do is get green done. So I draw that green two. The other person gives me a clue to play the green two. Mm-hmm. And now uh, I draw the last card of the deck. 
Well, my partner, if they have the green three, they play it. That's one play. And then I play the green four. And then End of game. End of game. Green five never gets played. Oof. So there are impossible setups. Now, that's a sake of ran- That's a position of randomness that you're right. having to deal with. Right. But there's things like that where you know, maybe I get dealt a hand that I can't play anything from, so I have to discard. So the very first discard of the game is a red four. And the other red four is on the very bottom of the deck. Well, yeah, and then you're gone. Right. Uh, you cannot win if a card you need is on the bottom of the deck and it's not a five. You can get yeah. away. You can get away with a five being on the bottom of the deck because you draw it. Because you can play it last. Exactly. Uh, but if I draw that five last and I still had another five to play, I'm not getting them both played. So. Wow. Okay. So real world. You can still do everything perfect, and things can still fall apart. Right. But but maybe, you know, as as good human beings, maybe we can get to a point where it doesn't fall apart as often. Exactly. As a society, we're not there yet, but it, it, it <laughs> everyone needs to play the game to kind of like extrapolate it to the real reality. Exactly. And another thing that we do in Hanabi is after a game goes south, um, we try to have a, a conversation afterwards and say. Well, what could we have done differently? How can we deal with something like this in the future? How What's a way around this that could avoid this kind of a disaster based on what we all knew? What we all knew? Mm-hmm. And then we explain our point of views to each other. Well, here's what I saw, and here's why yeah. I did that. Well, you, you had this. Oh, well, I yeah, you're right. There was no way I could have known that. <laughs> and uh, well, well, we'll try it again. And the nice thing about Hanabi is, in general, it's a short game. You know. Yeah, about 20 minutes if you're playing a, a full game that actually comes to a conclusion that's good. Right. Uh, and, and, and sometimes we'll have good games that take a little bit longer because mm-hmm. it gets really crunchy and everybody's thinking. But you just play it again. You shuffle right. the cards up. You deal it again. If you have one that fails very quickly, you especially <laughs> shuffle them up and deal them again. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and everybody learns, oh, that's why I have to look for this occasionally. That's And, and it's... That's kind of how life is too. You know, even if you're doing things perfectly most of the time, every once in a while you're going to miss something, and yeah, and you have to learn to move on from it occasionally. And uh, you know, how do I make things better next time? Because I can't change that that just went poorly. Uh, I can just try to learn from it, my mistakes and make things better uh, next time. Yeah, so it's it's forgiving that way. Yes, is AP a problem in that game? For you, have you not even personally you, but it, just experiencing games? Is does AP get in the way of getting a game moving? Uh, occasionally, um, there are sometimes nightmarish situations where somebody's put on the spot because they've got to figure out how to fix two or three problems at once. Yeah, okay. Uh, with very limited clues, um, and Hanabi also has this whole factor of well, I, I can fix this. Or I feel like I should fix this, but can I fix this by letting somebody else fix this? Uh, everybody wants to fix things that they see that are wrong in a lot of cases. They want to impact the world around them. And it's very hard to let go and let somebody else do it. And Hanabi also has that piece in there too. So we have one clue. Like where you have to give up and hope that other people or have faith in other people to solve the problem because you can't solve the problem. Right. Uh, maybe there's a problem in the next two people's hands after me. And if I use a clue to tell one of them, then the other one is going to make a mistake. Well, what if I just don't do it, which forces the next person to fix the third person's problem? Uh, I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. Uh, no, no, you cannot. <laughs> It's not a very good wine sometimes. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Iocane power aside. Um, but it, it's hard to let go. It, I, I remember having a moment uh, in Hanabi that the sometimes the most fun part of Hanabi is giving that clue. Uh, and so it's because I just made people play cards and, oh, I did something so clever by giving this clue. Well, sometimes realizing that it's more clever to not be clever yeah okay is is a big thing and in hanabi just like real life sometimes it's hard not to be the one that's getting involved in fixing it um it's hard to let go and let somebody else have the responsibility 
when you see it there and you're just so excited that you can fix it. Yeah, you could uh, be the hero of the day or you can take a step back from your own kind of ego trip and allow somebody else to take care of the problem. Right. Maybe internally you're still going to feel like the hero of the day because, hey, I did the right thing. But you're not you're not flaunting it basically exactly um, yeah I, i've had a reputation at times you know we joke sometimes that dave never discards or <laughs> or sometimes dave never plays his cards <laughs> but uh people joke and it's true uh as a matter of fact we had a game uh several months back where an entire hand uh i did not discard a single time i did not play a single time it just so happened i had no useful cards Oh my God. Um, the only card that ever came out of my hand was at the very end of the game, I discarded a card in such a way that it was a clue. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so the only discard from my hand was telling somebody something. <laughs> I clued the entire game. And and I joke this, that's my perfect game. I never got a, a card, never left my hand. Never left it. <laughs> Uh, which is not true necessarily. You know, that sounds like I'm being very selfish. Uh, but hopefully people have learned that when they think about, it, okay, usually Dave kind of knows what he's doing. At least I hope I have that reputation with the game that um, I know what I'm doing. And, and to be honest, sometimes it's a mistake. Sometimes I block the whole game up by not just playing the cards. Um, sometimes other people do it too. Uh, and it, it's a balance that I even find myself going back and forth where there will be time frames where I am discarding way more than people expect me to. There are times that I am not discarding near enough. Uh, there are times that, I, that I'm nailing it and realizing, oh, I have the blue too. They need that played or they want that played. But the blue three is not out there yet, and these other things are important, so let's deal with them. And maybe, you know, maybe I had the blue three the whole time, uh, and they wanted me to get the blue two out so that they could safely tell me about the blue three. Uh, and I have to try to account for that too. Uh, but everybody's accounting for that. And it's thinking about why are people doing this? How can we work around that? How do I... Uh, meld everybody's experience levels together or everybody's point of views together uh, and make this work. And then how do you be self-reflective and realize, oh, yeah, I probably need to discard more sometimes. Oh, I probably just need to play my card because <laughs> they told me to. <laughs> uh, it can be such a humbling experience to be in a, in a game like that. And I, I don't know if it's like that for someone uh, that is a hobby master like yourself because I, I kind of think of you as like, you know, you're the great sensei who has uh, all the knowledge and maybe not more knowledge than other people, but you're somewhere in the upper ranks of uh, uh, Hanabi uh, mentors out there. Um, but uh, they're, they're, it just seems like there can be, there has to be humility in the game for it to work. And when it doesn't, when there's no humility there, that's when people get that experience of, I don't want to play this game. Yes, I would agree. Uh, and sometimes you'll see that in real life too <laughs> yeah you know if if somebody can't you know can't be humble with you maybe you don't want to play with them anymore yeah <laughs> just in general uh so uh and hanabi can kind of enforce some of that that you have to know when to step back and it's not it's not your time to shine it's somebody else's time to shine. or now it's your time to be a role player as opposed to a leader uh oh yeah okay um you know, there are games where it just so happens that I'm the person in the position that I have to discard and not give clues. I just have to generate more clues for everybody for, you know, five, six, seven rounds. Well, maybe it would have been more fun the other way for me to give clues, but okay, I'll do this because that's what we need. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, okay, yeah, this is a random scenario and, and we're getting close to the end here, so I'll, I'll quickly wrap up. But uh, the random scenario is, I will not know you until I've played Hanabi with you 100 times. Then we can be friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of Hanabi. Uh, well, it, it, for someone who's played 2660 times, it's uh, a mere pittance. Well, you know, that's, that's still, you know, 100 games of Hanabi. 
Uh, I'm not going to do that in a week usually. <laughs> so no, you, not usually. Even though you've done like you're, you've done Hanabi Con, which is I don't know how many games you played in one day. About 35, I think. 35 but, games of Hanabi in one day. But of course, after a day of 35 games, I'm probably going to take it easy for the next week. So. Yeah, you, you need some cognitive downtime. A little bit more. Drop it for you at that point. <laughs> more drop it. Yeah, maybe some. Uh, Las Vegas. The Las Vegas, exactly. <laughs> Anything that's kind of lighthearted. No, I really, Carcassonne will be fine right now. Uh, happy Salmon, maybe. I don't there know. you go. <laughs> Completely. I don't even know if there's like the level of, uh, yeah, I don't know if I could take Happy Salmon apart like that. Uh, Win-lose banana. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have the banana. <laughs> so, uh, this has been a really enlightening discussion about Hanabi, and I, I, I know that we haven't gotten to everything we could possibly get to. But I also know that our time is limited, and I wanted to, you know, not over inundate the listener with new information, but to try to get them to look at it in a very different way. And so, is there anything you feel like we missed that was important to sort of point out to the listener, whether they're a new Hanabi player or an old, like a old hat like yourself? Um, there, there's two things that I'll say. Number one. Uh, when you play the game trying to think about why other people are doing what they're doing okay you you end up being a better player for it in general and that uh hopefully the people that have played it a lot understand that um new players will that'll help them take help take them to a new level and maybe people that have played for a long time if they have gotten away from that get back to that and remember uh, that's what helps the other players grow and makes the whole table better. Uh, and the other thing that I'll say uh, is don't mess around with fives. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't mess with five. That, 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 that's, a, that's a joke I make that uh, uh, fives will sort themselves out. They're the most important card in the de- cards in the deck because there's only one of each. And uh, if you play it wrong, uh, you, you tank the entire game. Those are things that'll work themselves out. And you can probably extrapolate from that, you know, what that could mean for the real world that sometimes there's pieces of information that you have to be very careful with and you don't just, you know, go crazy with it. Um, we will have games where people will have the five and they will say, I'll just go ahead and play this because, yeah, it's probably right. And then you realize, oh no, it wasn't. Uh, Maybe we were just setting that up for later. Uh, you can't always assume that that's a play now versus a play later. Sometimes you have to take information and process it for a little while before it's good. And fives are the thing. That's kind of my motto is don't mess around with fives. I maybe say it in a little cruder way usually. But, <laughs> but uh, what it really comes down to is don't be impulsive in your decisions. Right. Um Except for maybe when an impulsive decision is needed. I don't know. At least on the important things. Right, right. right. I mean, yeah. Trains coming, get down. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> then you need the, you know, you need the the flight at that point. Fight or flight, you know. Uh, I don't know how we could get that too deeply in there, but I'm sure fight or flight exists within Hanabi. I mean, you could probably take this game, abstract though it is, and extrapolate it to a number of social situations, which I hope is what the listener will do. I hope that you will go and play Hanabi, enjoy the game but then see if you take home anything from it because i truly believe as a player way outside of 2660 i don't have i may have i may have 100 plays in me um i i truly believe that there is amazing depth to be learned there and um it can be a game that is really good for us as a people I don't know that you're going to get world leaders to sit down and play Hanabi together, but I think that particular process could have some really amazing implications if people were all being logical, not impulsive, and not emotional. Agreed. As well as thinking about what the other person, what their point of view is. So Yeah, and it, it's that point, that part is so important to the process. And instead of just getting involved in my ego... I'm aware that somebody else's ego is at the table and I'm trying to play in such a way as to be reflective of them and able to accommodate them and at the same time able to uh, develop the victory condition that I'm looking for by working within that relationship. Yes, yes. 
So it's just fantastic. I, I really hope people go in and play it. This is on Board Game Geek. You can find it under just look at Hanabi. Uh, it's a 7.2 right now. I myself have rated it as a 10 because I see the value in it. I'm, I'm a little bit excited about the game. Even trying to play a devil's advocate, I haven't been able to be completely devil's advocate because some of what some of what Dave has been saying has just been like, oh, oh my God, I hear it. I, I see it now, <laughs> you know? So, um, Dave, thank you so much for, for coming and talking to me about Hanabi. We did this about a year and a half ago and it didn't go so well because we tried to do it as Jimmy John's, but I'm really appreciative that we did it here at Game Fest. And uh, now I'm, I, I know I want to get to the table and play another game, but now I'm kind of jonesing for Hanabi. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go find a deck, right? <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Keep on rolling for change. Thanks so much for listening to Rolling for Change. This has been episode 23, a conversation with Dave Satterfield about Hanabi. Rolling for Change is a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. The Geek Therapy Network is a collection of podcasts and providers dedicated to discussion of the ways that geek media and hobbies impacts our daily lives. To find out more about Geek Therapy and to join us on our forums and Discord, check out geektherapy.com. You can also reach us by emailing wearegamers at rollingforchange.com or tweet us at rollforchange. Our theme music is provided by Rocket Scientist. To find out more about their music, you can tune your browser to bandcamp.com. We look forward to your custom and future episodes, but until that time, keep on rolling for change.